I had to get my workout in for the week. All right? I guess so. Uh, a couple of things that kind of popped into my head this morning as we were singing uh, We Three Kings. Um, if I had really thought about it, and my wife probably knows where I'm already going with this, um, if you're bored later and you want to see something really fun, go on YouTube, type in Claymation Christmas, We Three Kings. You will never sing that song the same again. I promise you. And I'm challenging you. Go home, and you'll call me or whatever. I'll see you next week and be like, you're right. I will never in my life be able to sing that song the same way again. You won't. It's a challenge. I'm just trying to get YouTube hits. No, I'm just kidding. And the second thing is my my wife and I were talking this week, and I was trying to figure out, what was I going to wear today? And I know that's all like, (laughs) I know. Sometimes she keeps me in check, and I said I could wear my standard issue preacher outfit, which is usually the dress shirt with the sweater vest, which Dr. Ashley wore on his Sunday, and Pastor John was also in that two weeks ago. But then we said Derek wore a flannel and khakis last week, and since it has been documented that he is far more spiritual... I'm going with a flannel shirt and khakis. Now, I also add the beard element to it, so I'm not sure where that goes. So Pastor John, uh, he was gracious and let me talk about the cookie walk yesterday. Uh, We had a great, I can't even say day, because if you were here at 1130, it was just about done. Uh, We opened the doors a little bit before 10 o'clock, and by like 11, it was just people after people after people. Uh, Yesterday, uh, the cookie walk goes towards the Carol Nauta uh, Missions Fund, which is, uh, 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 it's not necessarily, I can't think of the word, it escaped out of my head. Uh, It's a sponsorship, yes, thank you, for missions trips for our students at the school. Uh, It's been involved in helping, I think, our church as well in in going on to missions trips. And uh, it's it's set up in her honor as she was someone who had a heart for missions. And uh, it was really great to interact with some of the people that talked about their experiences. And I had an alumnus who came through, and he said, Oh, I remember when I went to Haiti, and it was so much fun, and I learned this about myself. So there's some awesome things that can happen through missions work. And uh, yesterday, they raised over $3,300. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. You can clap for that. That's cool. Now, um, my sales pitch is real simple. If you missed out on cookies, there are mystery boxes in the hallway. They are already tagged with how much they are. They're sold by the weight. There's boxes for $10. There's boxes for $8. There's boxes for $13. Uh, If you want to get a box you can do so. If you want to, uh, I've been asked to, uh, you can turn money into myself or to Jason Nauta, who's in the back, and we will make sure that it gets to Mrs. Chindano. Uh, so if you missed yesterday, or you're like, you know what, I could really go for some cookies, or if you would just simply like to make a donation to the uh, Missions uh, Scholarship Fund, by all means. That's our plug for today. Uh, so I appreciate it. Yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I am Pastor Tim, and uh, Pastor John is right. Uh, six years ago, uh, I lost my dad to a, uh, a very aggressive battle with cancer. And it's, it's tough this time of year because this uh, is my dad's favorite time of year. Christmas at our house was insane. 
I think he may have decorated more than my mom did when we were kids, especially the tree. And so now when I have some of these, I, I'm, I'm a minimalist when it comes to decorating. I'm far more like function over fashion. Like, I'm okay with taking egg crates and throwing a sheet over them, and that's my TV stand. It's totally fine. Thankfully, my wife doesn't feel that way because our house would look empty. But I can remember uh, the Christmas tree. My dad's favorite thing was decorating the Christmas tree. And uh, thinking about how awful and hideous and gaudy. And it was everything you would imagine for a 1980s tree. From like as far back as I can remember till he passed away every year. The thick garland rope, the stuff that like chokes cats and tinsel and big colorful lights. I mean, there was no room for anything. And it was just, it was fun as I've been preparing over the last couple days and weeks, uh, looking towards this, both kind of like, man, am I going to be able to get through this? Typically around this time of year, if I speak, I get choked up and I get a little misty eyed. And so if that happens today, don't freak out. It's all good. It's joyful memories. Because what we're going to look at today is the eternal father. This this, uh, positional character trait of Christ. And our text has been uh, Isaiah chapter 9. And I have uh, these verses. And we're going to read them again. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for who you are. As we've heard about this wonderful counselor and this mighty God, and now this week, the everlasting Father. And next week, as we look forward to the season of Advent, we look forward to this idea of the Prince of Peace. And not only that, but how all four of these tie together and they point to who you are, what you do for us now, what you've done for us in the past, and God, what you will continue to do to us, for us, with us in the future through your Son. So God, I pray that you would just open our ears and hearts, open our minds, Lord, that we would just be able to listen without distraction. God, that you would just work in our lives and challenge us, Lord, to to find a way to, to grab hold of this and to understand that you are an eternal father. And God, what that means to us, uh, we, we may not understand, but hopefully maybe today we'll have a, a deeper understanding, not just of what that means, but who you are. So God, I just ask that you allow me to speak plainly and clearly, and that, uh, Lord, today just something, something would stick, and we would just continue to move forward. So God, we ask these things in your name. Amen. We've been introduced to these titles over the last couple of weeks. Uh, wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, they've all had these two parts to them, and this is no different, Eternal Father. The first couple of verses of Isaiah chapter 9, I'm just going to read them real quick because I I think it's important to understand what we're looking at when we look at this Christ child and how these titles, to think about these titles being applied to a child, to a baby. It's an awesome thought. And it says in verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. 
And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior and the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. And then we jump into our text verses. See, this wasn't a happy time. When, when this message is being delivered, there's a lot of war, there's a lot of famine, there's a lot of really nasty things going on. And Isaiah talks about the people are walking in darkness. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that Dr. Ashley had mentioned that the people were walking in darkness, but then they are looking, there is a light that's going to come. And in this light, it's going to be in the form of a child, and this child is going to carry these specific names. Uh, wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and this morning, Everlasting Father. I thought that it was only appropriate to put the Hebrew up on the thing. I don't read Hebrew. I don't speak it. I am not going to lie. I clicked that microphone to make sure I didn't miss pronounce it, and I was like, this was actually the easiest word. There's like no to it or anything. It's just aviad. That's it. Aviad. And that's the Hebrew word for eternal father. And there's two parts to it. And the first is this idea of eternal. Everlasting. Perpetuity. And that's a financial term, and some of you might understand that. And and I'm going to... When I read it, I thought of something, and I'll tell you in a minute. But a perpetuity is an annuity that has no end or a stream of cash payments that continues forever. And you're probably like, what does money have to do? Just stay with me here. Sometimes I get a little crazy. And this is one of those times, I'm not going to lie. Because when I read this, and I read perpetuity, and all I could think was, I know that's a financial term, and that's really interesting to me, but there's a continued stream of something coming. And all I could think in my head when I read that, when I saw annuity, was I have a structured settlement, and I need cash now. Right? <laughs> Call JG. What? Because that's what, a, that's what it is. There's a structured settlement. Over a period of time, you're going to get a specific something that's going to come in. It's specified, it's determined, but it's limited. And perpetuity, it takes that limited and it says, this is going to continue forever. There's no end to it. And in the same mindset, this eternal, this, this everlasting, there's no end to this characteristic. There's no stop. There's no, uh, oh, well, it's going to end when this happens. No, we know that Christ came. We know that he died. We know that he rose again, that he ascended into heaven, and he is coming back. And at some point, we're going with him. And we will be in his presence eternally, everlasting. There is a future that we can't comprehend and understand. But Isaiah lays it out and says, let me encourage you with this. You will have a father for eternity. And not just a father, because here's the thing. I thought about this, and I thought, and, and Pastor John had mentioned it this morning, as, as some of us have strained relationships with our father, and I, thankfully, I didn't. 
I had a really good relationship with my dad. We were incredibly close. We were partners in ministry. It was not just a father and son thing. I would say he was probably one of my best friends. And as you go through life, you have seasons where you hate your parents and you don't want to do... I didn't really have that with my dad. My mom and I sometimes... But it just, for some reason, just always able to, we related to each other, we could talk to each other, he could come to me, I could go to him. It wasn't always perfect, but it was always good. And I think about, not everybody has had that experience. And for some people, the idea of father is he's just a figurehead. It's just, it's a title. So when I look at the word father, eternal and father, father is simple. Father is really easy. A man who gives care and protection to someone or something. So when we put these two together, here's what I am presenting to you as my definition. The eternal and everlasting father means there is no end to his father ring. That it's not just a person, it's not just a thing, an item that sits eternally idle on standby, that there is an action to what this child is going to do. An eternal fathering. And so I I put my my message together, and I'm trying to keep it uh, to the point, and I'm trying to keep it simple, and I'm trying to, three points, and we're going to get out of here, and honestly, I'm going to do my best. Because I know if I get off on rabbit trails, it's going to be like a cry fest. And I don't know nobody wants that. I mean, let's see a grown man up here. So maybe you do. I don't know. No. This is one of those things, this idea of an eternal fathering. There are three things, like I said, that I put together, and they're the three P's which are in your notes. And if you're doing the notes, the top, that's the eternal father. That's the note part for that. But the three Ps that I have are this. Because he's eternal, this eternal fathering happens in many ways. But the three that I want to talk about today, the personal aspect of it, this protector provider, or if you want to put an interesting, fun little theological word, providential, protector, provider, and this promise that we have in our eternal Father. So we talk about the personal. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 tells us that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means simply God with us. There is a reality to the person of Christ. There is a reality that this is a, it's, it's, it's a person. He was born. He lived. There's historical evidence. There's biblical evidence, which I know for some people are like, well, of course there's biblical evidence. But over the last couple of weeks with our teens, hopefully they remember some of it and were able to take some of it away with them. We did a, a little quick mini study that we called Man, Myth, Legend, God. And in that, we took each of those words and we looked at Christ the man. Who was he? Was he a myth? Was he a legend? Is he God? Which of these fits the bill? And we were able to look at Christ as a man, the person of Christ. And we looked at evidence outside of Scripture, secular historians that were not 
uh, in agreement with Christianity, but they still pointed to the person of Christ existing, being alive, being crucified, doing some of the things that he did through his miracles. So there is a reality. I can stand firm and look at that and go, there's secular historical evidence, there's biblical evidence, there's evidence from our uh, uh, early church fathers, the apostles, and, and teachers from there, that we can say, I'm confident in saying that Christ was a real person. There is a reality to him. And when we look at his earthly ministry, and we see how he operated, it was very, very personal. It wasn't just like a, hey, I'm God, and I'm going to do what I want. And if you want to follow me, you can. He sought after people. We see in reading through the Gospels that he was compassionate towards people, that he cared about their spiritual needs and their physical needs. He fed people. He provided money for people. Peter was, i got to pay taxes. How am I going to pay my taxes? And Jesus says, hey, listen, you're going to catch a fish, and you're going to find your money in the fish's mouth. Tax season is coming. I am not suggesting you go fishing. Give it a shot. Who knows? I don't know. But there was a personal desire that Jesus had to be involved with people. And personal people, personal relationships. I think about the relationship that he had with Lazarus and Lazarus' sisters. And Jesus gets news that Lazarus is sick and he's dying, and he dies, and then Jesus shows up, and everybody's in tears, and they've probably got like the whole ugly crying thing going on. And they think, if you were only here, and Jesus is wrecked in his spirit. It tells us that Jesus wept. He had sadness. He had love. He had compassion. You don't get sad if you don't have a relationship with someone. I, I read something the other day about... Um, um, uh, uh, the broadcaster for the Auburn Tigers. It, it came up. Uh, the Iron Bowl was a couple weeks back. If you like college football, there was a, a broadcaster who was hit by a, a, a teenager who was driving under the influence, and him and his wife had lost their life. And I read that story, and while I was I was sad for the families, it, it wasn't personal. And I'm not I'm not trying to sensationalize. One of the things my, my dad would do is, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I've never done it. It was never anything in the world that was interesting to me. Maybe some of you, it's a, I don't know, maybe it's a generational thing. But he would get the paper, and he would always go through the obituaries. I don't know. I just, to me, I was like, why? He's like, well, I just wanted to read about people. See, someone I know died. I'm like, okay. I've never done that. Has never been an interest to me. But if Jesus doesn't have a personal relationship with Lazarus and his sisters, is he going to have this emotional, this, this turmoil within himself where he's crying and he's upset and he's feeling distress? There is a reality to a personal relationship with an everlasting Father, one that has no end to the fathering. And I was thinking about everlasting, eternal fathering. And all I could think was, man, it, might, it would be rough to be like 95. And my dad's still saying, did you check the oil? <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, dad, really? I'm 95. I think I figured it out. 
But I'll be honest, he'd probably be right. No. When you think about it, I mean, those are the traits. Like, we're going to think about the experience that we've had with our eternal fathers. And like I said, for some, it's not that great. And I understand that. And I'm not trying to stand here this morning and paint this picture of you for you that says, oh, you should have a great relationship with your father. If you don't, I pray that something happens and there's a breakthrough and that there is a way that that relationship is fixed. And if it's not, that there's some sort of peace There's some sort of of understanding that you can come to this morning understanding whatever it is that you have in mind about your earthly father, whatever it is that you would change, whatever it is that I want more love, I want more compassion, I needed more this, if I just had a little bit more that, I'm telling you, Jesus is that eternal father. And we can stand in that. There's this repeated theme that that Paul kind of has throughout uh, his, his letters of knowing God, that you would know God, that I would know him, that I would know his suffering, that I would know, and we're going to look at those verses in just a couple of seconds here, but there's this theme that we can know because there is a relationship. There is a personal touch that this child brings as an eternal father. I just think that's awesome. So the next P is this protector provider this uh, providential uh, thing. And um, I don't speak Latin, so I won't, I don't even know if I spelled it correctly. But Deus pro nubis nobis, is that correct, Pastor John? Nobis, is there a U in there? I was, I didn't think there was a U. I I spelled it N-O-B-I-S. I I wasn't sure if it was nubis. Yeah, I did. (laughs) I didn't Google this one. I was like, I think, I think I can understand it. And, And it's come to, God for us. Our eternal father, this character, this aspect of fathering, it's, he's personal, he's also for us. And for some of us, for some of you, maybe you didn't have a father who was for you. Again, I'm not trying to... <clears throat> there is a reality to Christ there is a reality to him being for us. Some verses in Romans that I'll read real quickly. And I only put one up on the board, so we'll get there in a second. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, What shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who is against us? And he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And this is the verse that I really like. And Paul is saying here, 
if Christ is for us, if God is for us, and he tells us Christ Jesus is the one, he is the one who died, he is the one who is raised, he is the one who sits at the right hand of God, he's the one that intercedes for us, he's the one who's pleading for us, he's on our behalf, he is for us, he is our eternal father, and he is for us, and even though there's all these things, and he talks about war, and famine, and being in need, and this is the verse to me that just goes, this is amazing, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Overwhelmingly conquer. I like sports. I like them a lot. I like football. And I'm an Eagles fan. Last week's game was not an overwhelmingly conquering feat. And I'm mentioning this because here's a way that we can understand this. We're not talking, it wasn't a blowout win, it was eked out in overtime. That's not overwhelmingly conquering. That's like barely making it through. That's barely getting the job done. And overwhelmingly conquering is something that happens when you look at the scoreboard and it's like, it's 58 to nothing. How did this happen? And by the third quarter, the backup players are in, and everybody's laughing on the sidelines. They're celebrating. They're enjoying this victory. And that's us overwhelmingly conquering what? Nakedness, famine, destruction. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Because of what he stands to offer. When I lived in Alabama, um, I had... uh, used uh, used up pretty much all my resources. I had been in a relationship, and we broke up, and I thought, I'm just going to live here anyway. And then I couldn't live in my apartment anymore because uh, the lady who was the landlord, she was a really bad hoarder, and uh, there were bugs, and I, I had to get out of there. And then uh, one thing after the next started happening, and I finally got to the point where I had nowhere to live. I barely had a car. I my, my had trouble. I couldn't get hours at work. And I was in a really, really bad spot. And I called my dad, and I said, Dad, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm desperate. I got nothing. I'm down to, like, my last paycheck. They're closing the restaurant. This is happening. That's, I don't know what to do. He said, do you want to come home? I was like, I got a tank of gas. That's all I got. He said, all right. I'll see you tomorrow. He drove from New York to Alabama overnight to load up my stuff to drive me back to New York. Can I tell you something? I was 21. I wasn't a kid. I wasn't just, uh, uh, just I wasn't at college. I, I wasn't away doing whatever. I, I wasn't living a wild, crazy, uh, prodigal son lifestyle. I just, I had nothing. I had nowhere to turn. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't asking my dad to come get me, but he knew, in his wisdom, he knew, son, you need to come home. And he knew the only way you're getting home is if I come and get you. And he did that. Dad, I'll pay you back. I'll get a job. I'll get working. And I did. I came back. I started working right away. And I saved up the money that it took him to get down there, to rent a truck, to bring it back. Our car broke down. We had to get it fixed. So I saved up the money, and I went to give it to him. He said, what's this for? I said, I told you. I was going to pay you back. I'm not a kid anymore. He went, I don't know what you're talking about. He didn't care. Because he said, hey, You're still my son. You could be 50, and if you have a need, I'm going to take care of you. 
My dad's not a perfect guy. But can I tell you, Jesus is perfect. And when he says, I will take care of you, he takes that and he extends it into forever, into eternity, because his fathering doesn't stop. That's what Paul says. It doesn't matter. He also talks about this in the book of Philippians. And if you want to turn there, you can. I have uh, the verses up on the board for reference. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. It helps if I get to Philippians. We're familiar with these verses. Some of us might not be, but this is what it says. Not that I speak from want. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any kind of circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's a reality to this eternal father that meets our needs. And this is what Paul is saying. Look, it doesn't matter the situation I've been in. I've been in want. I've had plenty. I've been poor. I've been rich. I've been sick. I've been healthy. I've been in jail. I've been through all of these things. And you know what? It's all the same because Christ strengthens me. And I love in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. What it points to is we can know, we can have this personal relationship, and just like Paul's experiences... It gets stronger the more we experience what Christ is doing for us. It strengthens who we are. Through our experiences with Christ, our relationship is strengthened. It's not just, I I know him, but I know him. It's personal. And it continues. And through what he does for us, this providing, providential, protecting, it continues. I just think it's a cool thing. The last P this morning is promise. I'm going to fast forward really quickly. I'm going to read a couple of verses in Hebrews, but not spend a lot of time there because I know Pastor John is really excited about getting back into Hebrews. Yeah, I know. But I, <laughs> uh, but I think this is also cool. So promise. All right, so we've talked about the personal eternal father, the uh, providential providing protector, and now the promise, the eternal fathering of promise. In uh, chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews, this is what uh, the writer puts on paper. He says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, behold... Days are coming, says the Lord, Well, I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I had made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, 
and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. And I'm sharing that not to get into the thick of what it means in Hebrews, but this is a retelling of something that Jeremiah wrote, and he pointed to this new covenant, this new promise that God was making. And this new covenant and this new promise, this comes with an inheritance, but this new covenant, this new promise, this whole idea of they will know me, I will walk with them, they won't have to tell people because there's going to be a full revelation of who I am, and that's what Isaiah had talked about. That this full revelation, that there won't be, everybody's going to know because there is a real God, there is a real Christ, there is a real person, and they're going to see it. They're going to experience it. And here's what the great part of this is. I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will forgive their sins. And here's what's really neat. It's because Jesus uses these words in Matthew chapter 26. He says, my blood poured out as a ransom for the many for forgiveness of sin. This is my blood, my blood of the covenant. This is the fulfilling of that promise. This covenant promise, this eternal fathering, happens through this. The blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. It's a promise that God made. It's fulfilled in this child, this eternal father. And through the completion of this promise, we share in this promise. This promise becomes a really cool word called inheritance. These are the things that we inherit through our father. And we can understand what that means because it's not really a big, deep theological term. It's an inheritance. It's what's, what I'm entitled to after my father is gone. Now, it wasn't much. We lived a modest life. He was in ministry. I came to understand that at an early age. We didn't always have what we wanted, but we had what we needed. And I've, I've learned to try to live like that. Maybe that's why I'm more minimalist than maybe I should be. But here's what's great about this inheritance. We share in this with Christ, and it's eternal for two reasons. One, because it is Christ, and two, he died, but he came back. So this inheritance is awesome, and it's talked about in the New Testament a couple of different times. Paul mentions it in Ephesians. He talks about, we've obtained this inheritance through Christ. He says it again in Colossians. You will receive this inheritance as a reward. And in Hebrews 9, he says that the writer says the same thing. He is the meditator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Through what Christ did, the forgiveness of sins, it points to salvation. To, to be able to have this relationship with God, this eternal Father, this wonderful Counselor, this mighty God, that we can have this relationship, that this is just another aspect, another characteristic, that there is an inheritance that comes from our eternal Father. And it's continued in His eternal fathering. And that's awesome to me that there is a father and he's still doing work. 
And we're still sharing in that. And while we're here, it may seem kind of crazy in bad days and good days, but there is an inheritance that is coming. And first Peter, in first Peter, Peter mentions it, and he says, it's perfect. It's eternal. It's unspoiled. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's unperishable. And it's not going to fade away. And it can't fade away. Because the person that holds on to that inheritance is the eternal Father, and that is Christ. So a Father forever. A Father that offers us salvation. And I guess that's where I kind of want to try to wrap up this morning and and just kind of present it back to you and to understand you know, we, we've talked about these different characteristics of God and we, we've talked about the Advent season and what we're looking forward to and we have this expectation of Christ and the Christ child and we, we, we sing these songs and we think about, man, such a cute baby. It's the eternal father. John called him the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. The one that walked and had compassion, that looked over an entire city and wept with tears and sorrow because it was an unbelieving people. That went to the cross and there was anguish. There was this turmoil inside of him because he knew what he was going to face. I'm a father now. And I read a Mark Twain quote and I thought it was pretty funny. He said, when I was 14, I realized... My dad didn't know anything. And then when I turned 21, I was amazed that he had learned so much in the last seven years. I probably butchered it, but you understand what I'm saying. And we don't understand. And we look at this relationship and we look at it and we go, "Eh, this really isn't for me. I'm telling you, it is for you. And there's going to come a point where you're going to go, really, this really was for me. And there was a reality to what the Bible says. And there is a reality to this person of Christ who is saying to you today, you're not here by chance. You're not here by coincidence. You're here today to hear Christ is our eternal Father. He wants that relationship with us. And if you're here and you're going, I had a bad relationship with my father, I have no idea what that means. I'm telling you, there are men and women in this room that have had bad relationships with their father that can tell you, I can tell you how God, how Christ is the eternal Father and how that relationship is vastly different than what you're experiencing now. You come talk to us. You're sitting here and you're thinking this morning, well, what's it mean for me? It means that we can turn over our anxieties. We can turn over the things that keep us held back. We can turn over the sin that we're dealing with, that we're fighting with, these inner struggles that we're battling against because we have a father who's looking at us going, I'll help you. Do you want help? I'm here to help you. We just have to be willing to give it in. Give it over. There's one more verse in Hebrews that I wanted to share because I love this verse. Hebrews chapter 7. I didn't write it on the board, and actually I added it as I was going through my notes this morning because I thought, what kind of ties this all together? And it says, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. That's a legal term, and I would tell you, For all of the things that my dad did, there's one thing that he never did. 
He never guaranteed anything for any of his kids. Do you know why? Because that is a term that means if I default, he's going to be responsible. If I mess up, if I have him sign on for a car and I don't follow through with the payments, they're going to stop calling me and they're going to call him. And he said, I love you, but I'm, that's where I draw the line. Hebrews tells us Jesus is the guarantor of this promise, of this inheritance. And we can stand in confidence knowing, hey, there's some reality to that. So I, I don't know. We're going to close in prayer, and uh, we'll have time for counseling. If you want to come forward, you want to talk, maybe there's just something you, you haven't been able to get rid of and you need help. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. Okay, there's a really easy place to start there. But we'll be up here, and we'll pray with you. We'll help counsel you. We'll point you to the people that can help. But don't leave going, eh, it's not a, there's a reality The reality is that Christ came. He lived, he died, he rose again. And he stands as the eternal father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for what you've given us. We see this picture of Christ in in how he provides for us, not just our physical needs, uh, but something way more important, our spiritual needs. And those are needs that we probably don't even consider most of the time and haven't really thought about maybe uh, today or even in the last couple weeks, months, or maybe ever. But there's a reality to you. There's a reality to what you do for us. And there is this, this, this eternal relationship that you want with us. So, Father, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you or that has questions, that today would be a great day to get those answered. For those who are struggling through this holiday season with the loss of a parent or loved one, God, that you would give them extra peace and comfort. Uh, That's part of your fathering, is compassion and grace. And you pour it out on us so freely, and sometimes we totally, totally miss it. But God, we love you. Father, I, I close in, in, in today in, in just looking forward to this Advent season, the birth of Christ, that we celebrate in this child all these amazing, powerful things. Best is in your name, God. Amen. You're dismissed.